The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello from the Slate Studios in Washington, D.C., and welcome to Podcast for America, a show from Panoply about the two-year-long carnival barking competition that is a presidential campaign cycle. I'm Annie Lowry, a contributing editor at New York Magazine, and with me in D.C. on the other side of the desk is Mark Leibovich, the chief national correspondent for the New York Times Magazine. Alex Wagner is playing hooky this week. We're very disappointed in her, but we will soldier on. We will soldier on. Indeed. So this week is Pope Week in Washington, D.C. Everybody is cowering in their homes, afraid to face the traffic snarl of downtown or conversely rushing to the Capitol to try and see him. Pope Francis is visiting the United States for the first time since taking the helm of the church. We're going to talk about caths, half caths. (laughs) <laughs> and Cath appreciators and how faith is showing up in the race for the presidency. Then we're moving to Hillary Clinton, not a Catholic, but still worth talking about. Not a Jew. No, not a Jew either. <laughs> we're going to take a look at new poll numbers and the potential that Joe Biden might actually be getting in. And then you, listeners, you've made the cut. This week, we are taking some time to answer the lunatic questions that you send into our inbox. So that will benefit everybody. And then we're going to wrap it up with a segment called Spam, a special gift from the internet. Let's get to it. This week marks the first time that the pontiff, Pope Francis, or Pope Paco, as I like to call him, is visiting the United States. He's been outspoken as a liberal, a progressive something. He declared climate change to be a real and major issue of concern. He's been critical of unchecked capitalism. He's advocated for the rights of immigrants. He has focused on the poor. Mark, do you think that this pope could push religiously conservative American voters towards liberal policies? Or is that kind of a crazy pipe dream? Um, You know, you would think in a... In a world that is not this world, that could actually happen. I mean, the problem is the American culture, the American political culture has merged in many ways with community pillars like like the church. And people see things through ideological lenses. And I remember when the Pope put out his encyclical, encyclical yeah. about climate change a few months ago, a lot of the Republican candidates for president were like, oh, okay, well, liberals were all about this. Well, why don't they take the, the Vatican's anti-abortion view more personally also. So you you can pick and choose. I mean, I think, you know, it might push some people who are in the middle in, in that direction, but I, I actually don't see it being a um, political force in this country right now. I think it's interesting the way in which he makes conservatives uncomfortable. Sonny, right. I was at this event at AEI, which is a really big and very well-respected conservative think tank. Is that part of Burning Man? <laughs> I, I did a, just come AEI from has Burning a thing Man, in the desert, right? which is a very different kind of, the two of them up. spiritual experience yeah. than the one that the Pope is bringing. But um, and and it's run by this guy named Arthur Brooks. Burning Man is run by. I know, Arthur, isn't that amazing no. that he has time Grover to do Norquist, both? Grover Norquist. All right, I'll shut up now. <laughs> but but so he's a Catholic and a very sort of influential guy in in the thinky world of Republicans. And the student asked him. She was like, you know, the Pope basically just came and said that unfettered capitalism is really hurting the poor. But here at AEI, you argue that that what the poor need is more capitalism, right? right. They need freer markets. They need, right. how do you how do you answer that? And he gave this really delicate answer in which he huh. was like, you know, it's, it's a good time for us to listen. And it's a good time to try and be an empath and understand other people's points of views. But nevertheless, like, I, I do think that capitalism is, is a great force for lifting up the poor. I actually did. Hmm. I, I agree with him on that. But it was... That 
that was the cleanest answer I've ever seen. Whereas mm. I feel like Republican politicians about the Pope just get really uncomfortable. They, they do get very <laughs> uncomfortable. But what's interesting is that, um, especially in this sort of race that's been so fully dominated by Trump. Oh my goodness. The, Trump just, and the Pope. Trump and the Pope. Well, it's funny because Perfect I mean, he, he's created this permission structure for total disrespect yeah. of institutions. And, you know, it hasn't extended to the Pope yet. I don't know if the, I don't know if Trump would go there, but he's a terrific Pope. He's well, doing a huge job. I a huge job. I he's don't the best have book. a Trump voice. No, I, I mean, you can one. see, though, it's funny. I saw Trump in Dallas last week at this rally that he gave right before. Did the you debate. touch his hair? I never touched his hair, but Mark, I got close enough so that I might have I, been I able want to... nothing more on earth than to be able to touch his hair, like sort of to get down to the scalp, you know? That might be a point just real. That's a very, very dark point. <laughs> I don't know if it's even accessible to to mortal souls like you or I. Don't um, tell Ezra. I will not tell Ezra. <laughs> anyway, the Pope is somewhat divisive. He takes a much more progressive view than American conservatives tend to expect from popes. But, I mean, you have not seen a real clash. I mean, it, he has not become a boogeyman yet um, in political rhetoric. Yeah. Can you imagine what is going to happen to the Internet if Pope... Francis comments on Donald Trump or oh. Donald Donald Trump is going to comment. Has he already? I haven't looked. I I'm would like sure to see he that. has. I mean, his Twitter feed is pretty exhaustive. Yeah. So we have an interesting list of Catholics running. Martin O'Malley, mm-hmm. Jeb Bush. I didn't know that. Converted, yeah. Chris Christie, Rick Santorum, George Pataki, Marco Rubio, Bobby Jindal. So if you put all of them in a room together and we're like, as Catholics design policy... It would be. It would be. A it would be useless. It, it would be. Mishmash. That would be a really yeah. stupid I, idea. I think they would definitely let George Pataki run the meeting. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you have a few converts there. I mean, I think yeah. Jeb converted to Catholicism after he met his future wife, and you know, he's pretty religious. I mean, he actually. Yeah. I mean, there's the zeal of the convert with him, and Bobby Jindal obviously talks a lot about his his faith. Yep. Um, and Santorum actually has made it. I mean, I think a legitimate centerpiece of his political career. Right. Yeah. I mean, he I feel like is is identified much more clearly as as a man of faith. Martin yeah. O'Malley is also, I think. Quite, quite religious and talks about that fairly often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, okay, yeah. so here's here's more awkward commentary from Republicans about the Pope. Santorum, the church has gotten it wrong a few times on science, which coming from him is kind of delicious. <laughs> Jeb Bush, I don't get economic policy from my bishops or my cardinals or from my Pope. I think religion ought to be about making us better as people and less about things that end up getting into the political realm. I don't know. The personal is political, religious. It, it is, and unless, unless we're political. talking about Muslims too. I mean, look, yeah. I mean that's like the latest. Oh I mean, my God. you know, Ben Carson and you know Trump said something yesterday. I mean, what a disaster that was! What a fucking unforced error! And like, it's why? not an error. Look at look at who they're appealing to. I mean, Donald Trump. People say, "Oh, how can Donald Trump be winning the polls?" Um, look, I mean, forty percent of the Republican Party. I mean, thinks that. Barack Obama is a Muslim. I mean, this is this is the audience they are trying to appeal to. Religion yeah. ought to be about making us better as people and less about things than getting up into the political yes. realm. It, it, so, listeners, what would you have liked to have heard from the candidates running for the presidential nomination? What was your favorite part of the Pope's visit? Email us your thoughts at podforamerica at gmail.com. So we're moving away from Catholicism to talk about Methodism. 
Methodist? Methodism? Methodist tradition. Me- no, no. Method Methodism. Methodism. Okay. Yeah. Hillary Clinton. CNN has a new poll out. It shows her lead in the Democratic presidential primary has grown for the first time in ages. However, there's a lot of other numbers coming out that show her kind of a little bit squidgy. For instance, she, squidgy. she is net unfavorable in her home state of New York. Hmm, interesting. Uh, she's potentially losing some primary states to Bernie Sanders, at least according to some polls. Yeah. Mark, the question I have is whether this is going to convince Joe Biden to hop in the race. It seems, I mean, I am sort of astonished, but it seems like he actually might. It's sort of a day-to-day thing. I mean, I think it's probably in, in the news cycle, in the rumor cycle, you hear, oh, no, he's not going to do it. He's going to announce next week, and then he changes his mind. I mean, I do think that this probably reflects his mindset, which I think is genuine indecision. Uh, he's beginning to feel a little bit bullied by the Clinton people. So they're suggesting to him that it's a juggernaut, it's too late, either sign on or, you know, get on the bus or off the bus. But, you know, we, we have an insurmountable lead in fundraising, in support, in staff. It's too late for you. Uh, he resents that. I mean, that actually has, you know, a very, very opposite effect on him. Right. The way in which it's late is in terms of donors, staff, mm-hmm. operations, all that. In terms of the actual, like, calendar, it's not late at all. It, it's not. I mean, although, I mean, as Hillary has moved so so forcefully to sort of wrap yeah. up so many donors and so forth, it is it is a bit late. But I, I don't think that he's going to make this decision based on you know some day to day metric of where we are on the calendar. I mean, I think it's more. I mean, he still has a window of maybe two months to sort of see if this is something he wants to do. Yeah, I was thinking the other day. It, it seems like Donald Trump is not going to get the nomination, and that maybe this this whole. This whole thing is that. falling apart. I Just in the sense that, that he's like starting to go down in the in the mm. poll arms. I think I've said it like probably every episode of this podcast. I am actually the world's worst political prognosticator. So yeah. whatever I say, just understand that that won't just happen. Just think the opposite. Yeah, whatever exactly. Anything. As opposed it's to me, everything I say is is just oracle. <laughs> but if Donald Trump were the nominee. I actually think that Joe Biden would have a much better chance of destroying him than Hillary Clinton. Um I, I don't agree with that. I mean, first of all, I think that Donald Trump could be the nominee. I mean, I, I would put his his chances at about maybe 30, 40 percent at this point. I mean, right. he's, he's got plenty of money. His polls numbers are, are real. And yep. and look, I mean, the alternatives are not coalesced. I mean, if there no. was like two, one or two legitimate you know alternatives, you know, the anti-Trump forces would sort of right. you know, coalesce. And given them. that the rest of the electorate is so split up between a bunch of other candidates, it's actually funny because it keeps on it keeps on benefiting Trump, right? Like Ted yeah. Cruz is polling decently enough. Why would he drop out? You know, I think that, that you're still going to have a situation in which there's four or five viable folks like a couple months from now. Yeah. Versus the, you know, 28 that we have currently or whatever. Yeah. I mean, Scott Walker got out this week. I mean, that's actually I find it refreshing that the field is thinning. I mean, forget. I Scott know Walker, the not, culling. Finally. The culling. Finally, I mean, it will be. It would be nice if maybe seven or eight of our choosing followed <laughs> suit. Um, look, I mean, it's a serious race. I mean, I think one of the reasons, frankly, that that Hillary has done better in polls in the last few weeks is not anything that she's done or said yeah. or her campaign has done. But I think as Trump becomes more of a phenomena, as his staying power asserts itself. Democrats have this, you know, we just can't be fucking around vibe because, you know, if he is the nomination, which I think is a possibility, we need to be able to oppose him with with our best. And I think that that most Democrats at this point would think that she has a better chance than Biden. I mean, I think, 
yeah. certainly in terms of, of turnout, the prospect of a President Trump, I think, is really going to get Democrats to the polls. I think it would. <laughs> I think, you know, the more Trump is in the middle of this, the funner it is to watch. I mean, yeah. at the debate last week when, out in Simi Valley in the press filing center, every time the camera panned to Trump, which was probably about half the time or yeah. every time he opened his mouth, the entire filing center, if you look around, was just like smiling and about to giggle, just sort of in anticipation. Yeah. Partly, you know, okay, what's he going to say next? But also the idea that this sort of enduring cartoon has been unleashed on these lobotomy cases lined up <laughs> next to them. And it's exhilarating, but it's also, it's amazing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's an amazing testament to sort of where things are right now. In it is. It is amazing. And now, since we were talking about this last week, we, but we didn't have the, the data, now we know the the Fiorina bump was real, and she's actually got this kind of like viable thing going. And Fiorina mentum. Yeah, Fiorina mentum. I think we've actually Car- used that, like, that stupid blank mentum construction for about seven different people. On the I show. know, and it's always hilarious. Which is why everyone loves us. Bernie mentum, O'Malley mentum. Yeah, it's, it's so all good. clever. Every time, it's really clever. Fiorina mentum. That sounds like a real SAT word. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that, that'll get you into heart. Yeah, no, but she's really in the mix. And, you know, and I think you've started to hear a lot of people say, like, look, this is a person who obviously performs really well at these kind of big cattle call type things, which is not true of a lot of these other uh, doughy white men. You know, to become the nominee from 3%, I think, is pretty hard. But, you know, as a vice presidential candidate or just somebody who's who's there and kind of like duking it out, I mean, it's been fascinating to watch. She's very articulate. She makes very, yep. very quick points. Yeah. The problem is... Her record is so vulnerable. I mean, basically, she was a CEO at Hewlett-Packard who had all kinds of problems. And there's already just ads that people just have in the can that are just devastating. And and look, it's a problematic part of her record, which is basically the entirety of it other than running for Senate in California and losing to Barbara Bosch. But, you know, I thought it was so fascinating in that debate how – so Jeb Bush gets asked the most obvious questions that he can be asked and appears to have, like, no answer and just looks like a complete idiot. She gets asked some of these, you know, most obvious questions and defending her time at HP. And what's funny is that I think she does it dishonestly, but she does it really well, right? Like, the whole thing about doubling revenue, like – it's it's just it's not she sounds good doing it and I do think that that matters. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There there was a great piece in Politico this week about how just sort of basically she lies. I mean they all lie, but she I mean everything she, she has a knack for saying something with absolute certainty that is 180 degrees the opposite of what she's saying. I mean it's yeah. obviously it's it's the nature of the business it's, which is you know asserting your truth yeah. and sort of touting it. So, so I personally more, don't one have more the question for you. Where is Mitt Romney right now and what is he doing? Is he uh, holding a mug of chamomile, just like tea, on his back porch and staring to the metal distance? Because I think he interesting. is. Interesting. I think he is. I think <laughs> I, I don't have a, I don't really have a better answer than that. I mean, I think this has to be killing him in some ways. It but does. I also think that the patrician sort of politically dynastic candidate, i.e. Jeb Bush, Mitt Romney, look particularly stupid next to Donald Trump. I mean, I think... <laughs> I mean, they are the perfect foils for guys like that. And yeah. you also see this tradition in, like, Republican politics, like from the Rockefellers or the, or the Bushes or the Romneys, of being somewhat embarrassed by their, their wealth. Yep. Um, you know, Trump has none of that. I mean, no. Trump is just all swagger. and He just, literally lies about how much money he has. Well, whether he's lying or not, it's just who it. talks about how much money they have? I mean, yeah, who not, boasts not about it on a debate stage or in political speeches? The I awkward mean, thing for 
listeners at home is that Mark, virtually every conversation is is about his pool of gold doubloons it's in his true. backyard and Absolutely. how he likes to swim in it. Uh, I do. I do. In fact, I was just coming here from, my, my body is glistening from doubloon um, remnant. <laughs> doubloon remnant. But I do think that Mitt Romney just crushed that cup of hot herbal non-caffeinated tea and uh, has a steely look in his eyes. Okay. It's time for your big debut. You, the listeners, at least some of you. We get a lot of terrific emails and a lot of horrible emails and comments from you. This week, we decided to read some excerpts on the show and answer your questions directly. The first comes from a listener who goes by Sells Mark's Junk. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> Uh, he wrote, yes. are you guys just taking a break or is the show falling on hard times? <laughs> I enjoy the pod. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this. Our original conception of the show was that this would be like the stuff that we would say to each other in a bar about politics. And I think that we have fulfilled that. Yes, we've been in bars. That's where we've been lately. Yeah, despite the fact, and this might come as a surprise to you listeners, that we do every single time record the podcast sober. We usually record on Mondays, but when there's a big event, we'll move the stuff around. And also, all of us have these kind of like jobs that take us away and afar. Mark and I are constantly traveling for work. And it's just kind of a little bit hurting cats. So we, like half the time, record on the time and date that we're supposed to. The, the podcast is strong. The, yeah. the State of the Union is strong. The State of the Podcast and, is strong. Uh, thank you for tuning in, and we hope that you will continue to, and we're going yeah. you know, to be here as long as you want us. Share it with all of your friends and get them to listen to. Mm-hmm. Mark, go ahead. Read right. the next one from Matt Eddy. Matt or Eddy. Or an excerpt, because this is the longest yeah, let, email let on Earth. Let me summarize this. Okay, Matt. Um, this is like the length of the email that you send somebody okay, who's I'll, broken can, up with you. Um <laughs> It's like all of my breakups took place kind of before email. Yeah. Interesting. Oh. Hmm. Uh, we can discuss that in another podcast. Yeah, that's a good, good so here's the thing about Larry Lessig. The campaign strikes me as a political stunt more than an earnest candidacy, although there's blurring the lines there if Donald Trump is blurring anything. You got to hop down to the stuff and bolt. Okay. We'll be here all day. All right. We keep electing people in charge of government who don't believe in government. It's like having vegans run your barbecue. <laughs> I like it. All right, I'm jumping down again. This is why Lessig is the most interesting guy in the field to me. Hillary, Bernie, Trump, Bush, Fiorina, Mickey Mouse, no one is stumping about gerrymandering except Lessig. Anyone who isn't talking about gerrymandering first and even as a gateway to fixing other things is wrong. Thanks for reading. I'd be interested to hear you guys react. You know, I don't disagree with anything you just said, Matt, Eddie. Um, I will say this, though. I mean, I think... About a year ago, I actually was telling someone that any candidate that makes campaign finance reform and just frankly reform the political system in a very radical way would get all kinds of traction in yeah. in the Democratic or even Republican primary. There is actually precedent for campaign finance reform like through John McCain in 2000 being a real rallying point in a primary. The problem with Larry Lessig is that he's a bit of a boutique. He is someone that people who cover politics and who know about politics and who are read up, read up on these things know, but there is no electoral coalition here. I mean, this is not, yep. I mean, he is not, I mean, I hate to say it, someone who's going to win the Democratic nomination and therefore I think is someone who no one's going to talk about. now. Lessigmentum. Lessigmentum. That's right. We have a new one here. So that's my take. I mean, look, I think Larry Lessig is awesome. I've been, yeah. you know, reading He's really him brilliant. He's, he's, he's the real great. deal. I've never met the guy. I would love him to become a phenomenon. I would love to write about him. 
you know, I just don't see him being a part of this horse race at this point. The kind of cynical answer to this, too, is that a lot of the guys that are running right now, not all of them, not like Trump or whatever, they've benefited from campaign finance being the cluster that it is. They've benefited from gerrymandering being the cluster that it is. And it's just kind of gnarly stuff to talk about. And it's really hard because the incentives are not there for the political system to actually address and change these. Like any reasonable system of government would have radically different campaign finance and yep. uh, district totally setting right. than we have right now. We probably also like not have like the electoral college, which is a particular issue of I hate the electoral college so much. <laughs> I really do. But there's there's just it's not something that you're going to get elected on. Point Meta governance this. is is hard. It is. But let me actually let, add one data point to this, which is Donald Trump at his rallies, the single biggest applause line or one of the single biggest applause lines is when he talks about self-financing. He says, yeah. I cannot be bought. I was part of this system. I gave to everyone. I expected things in return. That's how it works. So in a way, he has this Nixon to China credibility on that. And he says, I can't be bought. I will not take money from the blood-sucking lobbyists or he calls them <laughs> blood-suckers. Um, you know, the fat cats or the consultants. I mean, it's a really, you know, pretty forceful critique of this very political class that is rooted very much in money. And it's ironic that the man yeah. with money and who's associated with money tries to, you know, use that to fight these interests that, that is somewhat in line with what Larry Lessig is talking about. It's so funny, too, because, like, there have been a number of other politicians that have, like, either, you know, subtly or overtly implied that. And he just does a great job of it, right? Mitt he Romney does. was actually so rich and so self-financing that he could have said, look, I'm a really, really goddamn rich guy, yeah. and I won't be bought. But you know, right. he didn't have that because he was so knitted in with the party. Of course, Obama in like 2008 was like, I won't take super PAC money. I won't do no right. lobbyists. And of course, he just did a nevermind on pretty much all those things. Yeah. All right. So moving on to the next question. Ian, his last name is going to remain anonymous to protect his partner, who he told us doesn't know he's writing in. Nah. He emailed with the subject heading, Britain's Gone Bonkers. Ian, although Podcast for America is, in fact, as the name says, for America, <laughs> perhaps we can take a moment to answer one of Ian's pressing questions. He wrote us this. We never talk when PFA is on in the car. We are British, living in London, and members of the Labour Party, who I'm sure you know are currently going through an almighty upheaval electing a leader. The front runner and now the winner is Jeremy Corbyn, a straight-down-the-line socialist with a nice beard and a knitted vest. He talks about nationalizing railways, establishing a national investment bank, something called people's quantitative easing, where we print money to invest in public services. He is proper left and very popular. My question to you is, do you think that a resurgence of the old left in Europe, Syriza, Podemos, possibly the British Labor Party, will have any effect on the U.S. presidential election? Are Americans feeling that same pull to the left that we are seeing here? Is Bernie Sanders going to be able to drag Hillary that way? Best Ian and Emily, who doesn't know that I'm writing to you. Oh. Ian and Emily. So no, Americans don't give a shit about anything in terms of European politics. They don't no. know. They don't care. You guys, it's like where the cheese comes from. Like that's, that's <laughs> right. about Just it. give us the cheese. But, but that said, yeah, Americans are pulling to the left. And Bernie Sanders is pulling Hillary to the left. And there's been an interesting resurgence of candidates on the American far left and right, which is very different than it is in Europe. Yeah. And I think that probably, you know, you could think of that phenomenon as having global roots in the yeah. kind of crappy growth that you've seen in, or, you know, in big economies. It's really interesting to think about. So thank you, Ian and Emily.
Yeah. Sorry. And parenthetically, Emily. We yeah. And parenthetically, out. Emily. Yes. We won't drag you into this. British, Brits note, have so many secrets. I, I know. And, and, I and a side them. note, I mean, it is the most wonderful political scandal that you could possibly be having over there in Britain this week. I know. We and it's also, we... it's led to the best euphemisms, right? Because they're basically like, oh, yeah, the most important man in British politics face fucked a pig. But like... <laughs> You can't yep. you can't write mm-hmm. that in a newspaper. But you can say it on a podcast. You can. Wow. Can we integrate that into a future the daily <laughs> or the, the the quadrennial feeding frenzy that is the face fucking of a pig that is the You're American made political it a system. deceased porcine object. I like it. Yeah. Very Oh, is that was that actually the euphemism they use over there? I can I could, they, they would no, do something that's much like punchier. No, not a specific one, but yeah. it's just been delightful. Okay. We're nearly out of time for this week's podcast. Yeah. If you just got <laughs> jealous hearing someone else's email read out today, get motivated, write us too. You can send your email to podcastforamerica at gmail.com. We read all of your comments. We really do. And sometimes we read them on air. To wrap up, we want to share a couple other little inbox gems. In this segment, we're calling The Mysterious Magic of Spam. It's not really a segment. It's just a chance for us to share with you the ridiculous and sort of impressive spam we got in our inbox. Here are two. Subject, order. I am Mr. Mark and would like to order toilet seats and what would be the price for each unit so that I can quote with you the quantity I want to order, dot, dot. Also, what types of credit card do you accept as payment, dot, dot. Thank you and reply, ASAP. I am Mr. Mark. Did we really get that? That's amazing. <laughs> we, we, we're we running a really lucrative toilet seat. Yeah, we are. I mean, on yeah. the side. I know. That's that's how we keep This is actually, Podcast for America is like a drug money like front for toilet seats. Yeah. That's where you make the real money. In the podcasts. All right. Two, info at yahoo.com. I'm not sure how that got into our inbox, but nevertheless. Mm-hmm. Subject, let's split 70, 30% from a lucrative deal. Oh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Should we just meet somewhere? We're, we're totally. A, I think we should totally meet somewhere. We're all in it for the big podcast cash. Yeah, actually, this is like the Nigerian thing. You know, yeah. help us. But this podcast is in big trouble. I hate to bother you with this terrible email in this late at night juncture, but send us money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or buy ads. Or just tell friends that we're here. Yeah, buy personal ad. Mm-hmm. Ian, wouldn't that be exciting for Emily to hear that in the car while you're sitting silently driving on the wrong side of the road? And I'm worried about you and Emily, actually, frankly. I don't know why this should be such a hush-hush kind of thing. Email in and we'll give you bad relationship advice. Mm -hmm. That's all for Podcast for America. Thanks to our producer, Jocelyn Frank, and as always, Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Pod for America and tell your friends about us too. You can subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover our show. For Mark Leibovich here with me in D.C. and Alex Wagner out someplace playing hooky. Yeah, call home, Alex. Yeah, seriously, Alex. I'm not upset. I'm just disappointed. I'm Annie Lowry. We'll talk to you next time, and thank you for listening.